0: truly thanks be to God for all of his indescribable gifts if you've forgotten this week is Thanksgiving and I've been really enjoying Facebook this month I do every November actually because every November they have that Thanksgiving challenge where you're supposed to take a new thing that you're thankful for every day and post it for everyone to see and I really enjoy that I a number of my friends participate in it every year. And so every year, on every single day, they evaluate, well, what am I thankful for today? And it has to be a different thing every single day. And I think that's really incredible because we could go way beyond November and find another thing to be thankful for every day. But November is the time when we do it just because of this holiday, um, And I think that's wonderful, but I really wish that this would be so much ingrained in our hearts that we wouldn't need to be reminded by a special Facebook challenge, but that we would just go around spouting God's praise or without being reminded by our Facebook challenge, we would say, hey, everybody, just out of the blue today, I am thankful for all of these things. I think that's what we're intended to have done. And yet, this is Thanksgiving. And so, since we've been maybe lacking on that, well, this is the week to remember. And that's what this whole service will be about today, about having a lifestyle of Thanksgiving, or at least remembering what it is we're thankful for, and why it's so important to be thankful. So we're going to start out by reading today in our text uh, in Luke 17, uh, starting at verse 11. And this is the parable, well, it's not the parable, this is the story of the ten lepers. It may be familiar. And Thanksgiving, it's funny because it's the, th- the theme of this, page, this passage, and yet it's got a very limited message, or mention. It's, it's only mentioned at the very end. Let's listen to these words. As Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria, and he entered a village there. Ten lepers stood at a distance, crying out, "'Jesus, Master, have mercy on us.' "'He looked at them and said, "'Go, show yourselves to the priests.' "'And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. "'One of them, when he saw that he was healed, "'came back to Jesus, shouting, "'Praise God!' "'He fell to the ground at Jesus's feet.' thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go, your faith has healed you. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for all that you are and all that you have done. We thank you because we are nothing without you. We thank you for your words that you have given us that we may learn. And we ask that this morning, that your words would touch our hearts and we would hear the messages you would have for us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, I want us to think about what a day in the life of a leper would look at like. We get a very vague picture from this passage. There are ten men, and they're all clustered together. These men didn't necessarily know each other before they were afflicted, They met each other and now they are the only company they can truly have. These men are on the very, very, very far outskirts of town. They're not allowed in the city because they're contagious. They have to be kept out away from people. It's it's for the health of the city. It wasn't originally intended to be cruel. And yet, what a lonely existence. We see a description in Leviticus 13 of what a leper's life might be like. Anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face, and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. They had to do this, because if they didn't, they would wipe out the entire camp. And yet, how absolutely miserable, how lonely, and they couldn't provide for themselves. So they're they're just alone with their destitution. They can't really beg effectively because they can't walk up to people. They have to beg from afar. They have to first shout that they are unclean if that wasn't given by how they are dressed. They have to first shout that they are unclean And hope that someone has mercy and throws food to them. Now by the time of Jesus, uh, it's taken another step further. By this time, there are actual pits that have been used to hold these lepers. These pits where there's nothing but a small hole. A small hole where their only light seeps through a small hole where once in a while someone comes in and throws scraps of food down, just enough to keep them alive. These aren't good healing conditions. Though a leper had an option to present themselves to a priest, these conditions are pretty dire. And this leprosy could be any number of diseases. Who knows? Maybe some of them were fast healing. But now you're only spending your time with people of other advanced diseases. The likelihood that you're going to get out of this existence is slim to none. These men are considered lucky because they haven't been sent to these pits yet. Yes, they're on the outskirts of town, but they still have their ability to shout and beg. They haven't been cast out of the light. They can still scrape by enough dignity to beg for food and mercy. And perhaps that's how they've heard Jesus' name. Jesus is famous now. Now. Whispers of his name have spread throughout the land. These men have heard it, they know who he is. They can't approach him, but they know what he's about. And they think, perhaps, if anybody will have mercy on us, maybe, just maybe, it's this religious leader. We don't know all about him, but we heard he's a nice guy. We don't know if he will have mercy on us, but it's worth a try. We have nothing to lose. And so they shout to him, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And these people who have been cast out of society, who don't expect anything in return, they're beyond that. They're they're beyond expecting any form of hope. Well, it turns out Jesus does have mercy on them. That, That is the day in the life of lepers. So Jesus tells all ten of these men, go and see the priests. This is an interesting thing to do. Because think about what kind of trouble they would be in and what kind of havoc they would cause in the city if all these very infected, contagious men were to just decide, you know what? I'm going to see the priest before I'm clean. Trouble doesn't begin to describe it. Their lives would be over. But Jesus tells them, Go and see the priests. They haven't been cleansed yet. They are still infected. And it is as they are turning to go walk to see the priests that at that moment when they stepped out physically in faith, that's when they were healed. That's a powerful idea in and of itself that all ten of these men said, Okay, I'm going to risk it. I'm going to step out in faith, and I'm going to go see the priest, even though right now, if I were to see him in this state, I can't even imagine the trouble. But they were desperate, and so they did. Now, we can say that that's a step of faith, and it is in some way, and yet they were desperate. What other choice did they have? They were really looking at a death sentence either way. This may have been a last hope. So they stepped out in faith, possibly because they had to. One of them showed faith beyond that. After they were healed, they continued on their way to see the priest. Now, what could seeing the priest do for them? It isn't just that they're healed and declared healed. It's that now they can rejoin the community. If they still have family around, they can rejoin their family. They can rejoin their extended family. They can get a job. They can provide for themselves. They're healed and declared clean. Their life just turned around entirely. They're probably in a major hurry to see the priest. The sooner they see him, the sooner they can get back on their feet. But one man sees that he's been healed and turns around before continuing on. This man was a foreigner, a Samaritan even, not just a foreigner, but a despised foreigner. Samaritans and Jews were at odds with each other, first of all because Samaritans were of a mixed race. They were half Jewish and half pagan background, and that alone offended their Jewish counterparts. Because of their pagan backgrounds, this group was not one that was necessarily known for worshiping God. So, in all, they were seen as immoral, and hardened to God. And at the same time, for being biracial and a product of the Jews as well, these Samaritans weren't really accepted by the non-Jewish members of society either. They were outcasts. They were second-rate citizens. Their lives would have been hard enough without having leprosy. In fact, it's fair to say that his life was much harder than the other nine lepers. In order for his life to improve even marginally from being an outcast leper Samaritan to being an outcast Samaritan, he still had to be declared clean by the priest. And his being declared clean was less of a guarantee than the other nine. The priest was less likely to find this man as agreeable as the other nine Though his cleanliness would likely pass, who's to say for sure? And even so, he's going to return to the, having a life of the second-class citizen in the midst of these people who despise him all around. It's not going to be e- easy when, even when he is declared well. So why should he be more thankful than the other nine When it's safe to say that his lot in life is significantly harder. And yet he turns around. And he doesn't just say thank you. He shouts praise to God. And he threw himself at Jesus' feet. In what was a very deep, very public, very open expression of gratitude. Gratitude. And then something else happens. Something subtle. This is where we see the difference between the physical healing of the ten and deliverance. And Jesus defines for us exactly what's happened. He chooses his words as carefully as ever. And he says, this foreigner, also to be understood as This pagan, this heathen, was the only one to praise God? Well, that statement will get people to think. The only one whom they assume is religiously inferior is also the only one who's praising God. All ten of them were physically healed as soon as they turned and began walking, an equally physical act. But this man recognized something in his heart and proclaimed it. And Jesus acknowledged his proclamation and the change in his heart. He acknowledged that praise and thanksgiving as faith. Here we see that faith and thanksgiving are intricately entwined. They're no longer just two separate concepts. They're dependent on each other. Those nine had enough faith to turn and walk toward the priest, but this one has faith. Enough faith that he praised God and gave the glory to him. And so Jesus says, your faith has made you well. Wasn't he already just cleansed of the leprosy that was a separate act what is jesus declaring well now his soul he has declared him well physically and now he is well and healed because his faith ran deeper and that is evidenced by the thanks and praise he gave to god Now, I said that thankfulness goes hand in hand with faith. And here is why. It helps us to remember our place in relation to God. It is God who is great, not because we are deserving and not because we've done anything and not because of how great we are or who we are, God is great and merciful and loving because that's who God is and what God does. And this man recognizes that. He recognizes that it is not by his own works that he is healed. He did nothing but cry out. He is a Samaritan, and as far as this society is run, He doesn't deserve this healing, and he doesn't deserve the attention of Jesus, who is not just a Jew, but a well-known, famous Jew. So he knows it's not by who he is or what he's done. He knows something greater is at work here. And that's very much a key to faith. We have faith that Jesus will heal. We have faith that we can have salvation in Christ. We have to have faith because there's nothing we can do to earn it. It's not about who we are. That's the position the Samaritan is in. And Jesus recognizes this as an act of faith. The moment he turns and praises God, Jesus recognizes that he knows his relationship to God. He knows his place. He knows he is not greater than God. He knows it is God who has given him this gift. And he acknowledges it publicly, loudly, proclaims it in front of everyone. And he is so grateful that he throws himself at Jesus' feet. This is a lifestyle. This isn't just him waking up one day and saying, today I'm thankful for one thing or another. This is him saying, my very existence and identity depends on God because God has been greater. God is greater and he did this thing for me. And he throws himself at Jesus's feet what would it look like for us to have that kind of lifestyle? To not just wake up in November and say, yes, I'm going to give a thankful update on my Facebook status, but instead to every day say, wow, I can't begin to exclaim loud enough how thankful I am to God because of what he has done and who he is. That's kind of where this man is. Now, also, there's a parallel that's a really big stretch here. Ten men were healed and only one came back, and this is just one instance That means in this one situation, 10% of God's works have been acknowledged. And in this one situation, 90% of the people have probably decided they're going to give God praise when the time is right for them. Maybe after the priest declares them clean. But this man has a lifestyle of thanksgiving, and he says... You know it's probably not convenient for me right now I should probably go to the priest first and get myself situated that's probably the best idea that's what society expects of me that would be the most convenient I should do that but I can't because first I have to thank God not after I'm declared clean but right now I have to praise God right now. I wonder if in our lives there's more we can acknowledge our thanks for. I think we thank God for the things that we remember or for the basics or we thank God when it's convenient for us. Maybe when we're praying at the end of the night but what would it look like to be thankful 100%, not just, you know, 10% like in this situation? What would it be like to thank God for even the things we take advantage of and to thank God even when it's maybe not the most convenient? I think for me, that might look like something like Being very openly thankful and praising very openly even in front of my family. That's a difficult spot for me. My family don't necessarily believe in the same things I believe. That's not convenient for me to go around praising God in front of them. It's just not convenient. And yet, what would it look like if I did? What would it look like for you to praise God even when it's inconvenient. It's gotta look a little different for everybody. Where is your lifestyle of Thanksgiving taking you and challenging you? Here's another little stretch. Nine of these men grew up uh, fully Jewish. Nine of these men, before they became lepers, were accepted into society. Nine of these men grew up knowing the promises of God, grew up being accepted by their neighbors and friends. Sure, this is a miracle, and miracles are still amazing. But they didn't turn back right away and thank God. Could they have in some way expected it? Could they have in some way felt that it was their entitlement? Certainly that Samaritan is not entitled to this healing, but perhaps these other nine are. Perhaps these other nine who are Jewish can expect to have some treatment from this master. Maybe they didn't expect much, but they would have expected more than this this Samaritan. Could there have been entitlement? Or maybe I can word that differently. Could that have been pride? Remember I said thankfulness goes hand in hand with faithfulness. Could their pride be a stumbling block? When we expect, when we think we're entitled to the gifts of God, that's our pridefulness, that's sin. That sin is a stumbling block. And it's one that the Samaritan didn't have at this time because he did not feel entitled, he was not prideful of his situation. He knew exactly where his praise should lay. Are there stumbling blocks to your lifestyle of thanksgiving? Are there things that are stopping you, things that are challenging you, things that you feel maybe even entitled to? Do you see how thanksgiving is intricately tied? When we acknowledge the things that God has done, We acknowledge our place in relationship to him. And we have to give thanks because it's amazing. And as soon as we give thanks, we grow a little bit. And as we grow, we see more of the greatness of God. And we realize even more how much we need to be humbled and so we grow a little bit more it's like this cycle and it grows and it grows and it grows you step out in faith and then you're thankful and you grow that's what a lifestyle of thanksgiving would look like Now. Jesus announced to this crowd, and this is really important, because this is before Jesus died on the cross, obviously. This is before people really understood that the kingdom of God was for everybody. Jesus announced to this crowd that this foreigner, this man whom we've always deemed religiously inferior has been given physical and spiritual healing because his faith has been demonstrated as genuine. Before Jesus ever died for our sins, he extended God's mercies and blessings to this despised Samaritan community. And it was received better than it was to this beloved Jewish community? What message does that send? That sends this message to the people that, yes, we are the chosen nation of God, but there's an extension here. And it comes because of this man's gratitude and faith. That's shocking. We were talking the last several weeks about how how we can be relevant in our community well one real easy way to do that is to just show gratitude to God can you imagine this shocking message that was spread that day as this foreigner this despised man was welcomed into God's blessings and mercies all he had to do was show praise and thanks what does that say to our friends and family when we, when we give genuine thanks and praise to God, when we live a life of genuine thanks and praise, and not just one day a year on Thanksgiving we make a toast and say what we're thankful for, but every day we live out and we say, I am truly thankful because I am breathing right now, and you know what? That breath comes from God. I did not earn it. It was given to me. Something as mundane as breathing is actually miraculous. And that can spur us on to this life of thanksgiving. Now, I really enjoy the prayer of examine, it's one of my favorite spiritual growth activities. Um, There are different ways you can use it, and there are different ways to emphasize what you're thinking about. But one way to use it is to think about all the ways that you are thankful for God. And this prayer of examine goes through your life, mundane detail by mundane detail, and you examine every step of your day, and you see where God was in that. And the first day that I ever did it, I thought it was a challenging, if maybe a little boring, activity. But by the time I'd done it day or or week after week, it became very powerful because you become more in tune to seeing God in these little tiny details. We're going to partner up. We're not going to go through the whole prayer of examine. That takes maybe half an hour. If you want to check it out, Google it. There are lots of different approaches. We're going to go through two steps with partners. The first step is simply to step through your day and say, what have I done today? And look back on it. And the second step will be to thank God For where you've seen him so far. So here is an example. Today, I woke up. And yes, that's part of this, because we cannot forget how important that is. Today, I spent quiet time with God. Well, obviously, I see God in my quiet time. Today, I had breakfast. And while I was having breakfast, I talked to my roommate. It seems so mundane, but that's what you do. You go through step by step, and you look, and you see where God is and where you don't expect him. And then after that, give thanks to God for each place you've visited today, even if it seems as mundane as eating breakfast. So that is our challenge. We're going to take five minutes. Turn to your partner. Luckily, it's early in the morning, so you haven't had your whole day to walk through. You're going to turn to your partner and say, today I've done this, 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 and this. Then listen to your partner say the same. And together, at the end, pray for the steps you've taken so far today and thank God for each moment. All right, we'll take five minutes no more than groups of three because it'll take a while otherwise. When we walk through our lives bit by bit and piece by piece, we start to see God popping up in the smallest, dare I say even the most boring details, the way that we wouldn't ever expect to see him or that we take advantage of. It's the beginnings to a whole lifestyle of thanksgiving when we see how we depend on him for even the most mundane details of our lives. I want that for this congregation. I want us to be a body who just praises God for everything. And what a great week to start. This Thanksgiving, I hope that I hope that we are challenged to see our thankfulness even in a new light. I hope that we are challenged to make it a lifestyle and that as a result, our faith grows. Let this, let that be our thoughts as we head into this week of Thanksgiving. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for healing. Thank you that you've healed our bodies, you've healed our lives, and you've healed our souls. God, thank you for every little thing in our lives. Thank you for the breath that we take. Thank you for the friends that we see, for the family that we have. Thank you for waking us up new every morning. God, we ask that you would reveal yourself to us this week in ways we could never expect. Help us to give you the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.